This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. WGT is the most popular golf game in the world, and they are the official gaming partner here at DNVR. This weekend, we are hosting our first WGT major, and there are some huge prizes. Don't miss out on this one. First place gets $200 cash. Second place gets $100 cash. Third place gets a DMVR shirt, hat, and sticker pack of their choice. Amazing. Those are all great prizes. I mean, these are dangerously dangerously (laughs) close to the perks of the job as it is. (laughs) All three DNVR clubhouses will be able to participate. If you haven't joined a clubhouse yet, you can sign up and join DNVR3 clubhouse. If you go to dnvrgolf.com, that's a DNVR3. We are playing Beth Page Black Course. That's Beth Page. Write that down. And the challenge is closest to the hole. Whoever gets closest to the pin wins. It's that easy. The major will run from today to Sunday. So lots of time for you to get your best shot in. Good luck, everyone. Nobody out. Three and two on Charlotte. Jokic gets it across the timeline. Gets a high pick and pop with Murray. Lindsay breaking through. Taken away by Nathan McKinnon. Two on two with Landis Guy. Welcome into the Denver Sports Podcast presented by Breckenridge Brewery. I've got, I've got the, their new Palisade Peach Wheat here. I'm really excited I like that for it. It's good. Man, definitely should have been more prepared for this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am your host, Ali Monroy, and with me today I've got Zach Stevens, Drew Creaseman, Brendan Vogt, and AJ Hayfley. The title of this podcast is Which Sport Puts the Most Pressure on Their Head Coach Slash Manager. So we're just going to jump. Oh, yeah, AJ. I knew this topic would be perfect for you for Feisty Friday, AJ. (laughs) (laughs) All-time rant uh, incoming. So we're going to just jump right in. This topic came to me because Vic Fangio already has people calling for his job. Michael Malone had people calling for his job two series ago and look at where they are. So I feel like it's just a good conversation to have, especially because each team's head coach manager does different things and has different roles. Um, So we'll see. We'll see what you guys come up with. Let's start. I don't know if we should start with AJ right away or go to him last. 
Look at that smirk that's going on his face right now. I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We can start wherever. He's All right, Aiden. IPhone notes. He's got this right. <laughs> All right, AJ. Let's start with you. Which sport puts the most pressure on their head coach? Probably football. I mean, just Easy from the ex- after all that, like, <laughs> like, like from an X's and O's standpoint, it's got to be it's got to be football because every play is literally just X's and O's and put onto the field and executed to a certain level, and you see that there are there are schematic advantages and and guys get out coached on a regular basis, whereas you look at you, I would say, especially baseball and and hockey. How often do you do you make an argument that Bud Black got outmanaged tonight or that Jared Bender got outcoached tonight? I know that there are there's a certain subsection of Avs fans who think that that happens every night, regardless of whether or not the Avs win or lose. But those those people are just wrong, and they're going to have to live with themselves. So good luck, AJ. The- um- I I want you to go into, I know you chose football, but if you could kind of, for people who don't watch hockey, who are listening to this podcast, what do, what does Bedner do like on a day-to-day basis? You see, like it's different than football and baseball as to how he coaches. Yeah. So in general, I, I always tell people that if they can tell me where coaching stops and playing begins, then they're, they should be running a team. They should, they should be, choosing who the coach is because if you can, if you can do that, you're pretty incredible in hockey because the, the, the coach, like he sets lines, right? He sets lines. They have a basic, uh, they have a basic system that they run and they just run it over and over and over and over and over to perfection. They don't, there's not a lot of planning for the opponent. There's not a lot of like in baseball, you at least have the shift, right? Where you're like, Hey, have your defensive alignment based on mm-hmm. this guy. There isn't a ton of that outside of line matching uh, where you, the coaches do want to put certain lines against, you know, certain, certain line matchups where you want good defensive players against the offensive players. And, you know, you want to put your better players against their weaker players, take advantage of them, blah, 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 blah. Outside of, outside of that though, not a lot. There's it's, it's a lot of standing there. And, and, and looking case, good. In Bender's case, standing there looking pretty good. Looking, looking fly. Well, well, well dressed uh, goatee winner for a winner for for a reason. So I found I found that old clip for people listening and put it in our Slack of us announcing Jared Bender as the winner of the Goaties Best Dress. And I can't believe that was only nine months ago, guys. Like I feel like this year has flown by. And also feels like it's been like ten years. Well, yeah. also, <laughs> yeah, it feels like a couple of years ago. That's for sure. For sure. Just even just in our world, so many things have changed. Like we had four hundred people crammed inside of our old office. I know. And and now it's <laughs> like, do you guys see that shot? We're all like literally like trying to make sure everyone's faces. Yeah, you can see, it was amazing. Maybe I'll I'll tweet that one out. Um, so you guys, or I can just bring it up right here. Let's see. Keep talking. <laughs> Yeah, so you know he looks great on the bench when uh, when he just gets to stand there and not react to anything that happens, and he's very he's very stoic, and I think that drives a lot of Avs fans crazy because they're pissed off throughout the game and they want the head coach to agree with them, mm-hmm. and he's very much a okay. Well, these things have happened. We can't control what's now in the past. We have to control how we react and move forward, and I think that that's the. 
when it comes to finding a head coach that's going to win you a championship in the NHL, the hardest thing to do is to find a coach that can connect with your leadership group and kind of your core guys. And if he's able to do that, the X's and O's honestly kind of take a back seat. It's that it's was, all about connecting yeah, and, and being able to communicate with your with your guys. That was my big question for you, AJ, because I think I mean it's really hard to answer because as media we get behind a set of doors and we find there are more we're, we're not allowed behind. But yeah, in the NBA it is a lot of locker room management, ego management. I don't think we we think of NHL guys in that same way, right? As yeah. far as like egos and diva personas or what but but it sounds like yeah like locker room management is a large part of the gig well yeah yeah i mean you have like a, a look at a guy like nikita zadora for example the guy that everybody thinks jared bender just hates and because he holds him to a high standard of accountability and it's like look he expects a lot from that guy and so when Zadorov doesn't live up to it bedner's particularly harsh he'll bench him he'll he'll healthy scratch him he'll sit him after a period you know, even if another defenseman goes down, he'll play. He'll play with two defensemen short, just to prove his point. So it's, you know, with with Bednar, he's very, he he kind of draws that line, and he ex, he demands that accountability, and he has that. But he also has that relationship with Zadorov, where he goes and he says, "Hey, this is a thing. Like we can't, we we need more from you. We need better from you. If you're going to hold yourself to a high standard, you can't you can't play like you did last night." And that's sort of like that that ego managing uh, that that you think about in the NBA that's so prevalent. You do have to do it in in the NHL. It just looks a little different. Yeah, I do want to use that opportunity to transition to basketball and Michael Malone specifically because you do talk about benching a guy like Zadorov when he doesn't execute well. We see that a lot with Malone a few games, two games ago with Malone and Michael Porter Jr. And Adam, we were watching the game here and Adam just knew, saw that one mistake that Porter made, saw Malone be like, nope, that's it. And he did not play the rest of the game. Just trying to teach him. Vote, what do you think of that? And do you think there needs to be a little more of that like ego management on Malone's side? Uh, Malone's quite good at it. I mean, I think it's interesting for a lot of the guys on the roster, it was a I believe in you thing. These guys weren't great or weren't necessarily considered franchise-altering prospects when they came to Denver. Um, Gary Harris, who was actually already here, uh, Brian Shaw did not believe in him, and a lot of Michael Malone's job was extending that leash and showing him faith. MPJ comes into this situation already knowing he's that dude, right? And he has that level of talent. And so I think Malone's looking at this as an opportunity to, if there's ever a chance to really coach this kid, as far as defensive principles and, and things that earn his trust, it's now. I mean, by the time he's scoring 25 points per game, it's going to be a little harder to nitpick. So um, certainly not a foolproof approach to MPJ. <laughs> and plenty of people have had their fair share of criticism, some of them valid. But it's really, it's really true that in the NBA, most of the gig, I think, is ego management. Um, part of what makes Phil Jackson, you know, arguably the greatest head coach of all time. And I think it's been a big part of what Malone's done here in Denver. When they were in Las Vegas for summer league, Malone was there and he took the time to sit next to each and every player. Uh, the guys that weren't even playing, right? The Nuggets roster that was there just to watch. Um, when Jokic is in Sambor, Malone makes the trip and he goes and sees his horses. Went to Spain with Wancho. So his personal relationships with these guys, I think, matter more to him and really more to the results on the floor than, than 
necessarily in-game adjustments that he's making. In the playoffs, it becomes about, you know, what are your rotations, what level levers are you pulling? But what makes Malone a quality coach is um, all of these guys want to play for hard for him, and he has taught them how to play for each other, which is something that sounds like an empty mantra until you come back from 3-1 twice in a row. <laughs> And, and might like, oh, do it again. Yeah, I mean, it bears fruit. So, um, you know, in the NBA, I think it really is all about getting these guys to trust each other and play for each other in a time where individuality is placed increasingly on a, on a pedestal. And Jamal Murray, who's who's a really competitive guy, uh, who's harder on himself than anyone else, anyone in the media. M- Mike Malone's right there in terms of who's hard on him. They have a great relationship. They text each other all the time. Um, and, and, you know, it's no accident that Jamal has discovered greatness he always had it in him not all of us saw it there but Michael Malone did and he wasn't afraid to goad him and and hold him accountable and push and prod him towards that and and that's really I mean Wes Unseld Michael Malone gives him a lot of credit for the actual defensive principles in place and so you know Malone calls himself a defensive coach but to be honest I don't necessarily think you're seeing that tactically I just think you're seeing that in this is a group who doesn't have great defensive personnel and yet here they are defending at a high enough level to compete with the best teams in the league and it's all from this standpoint of we want to play hard for this guy he's earned that all right vote so which sport do you think puts the most pressure on their head coach um so it's locally it has to be football but I I wonder like Zach I was going to ask you a lot of that is because in this town, it's a football town, and you don't get a very long leash. And so, you know, how much of that is natural to the sport versus, like, a particular kind of pressure with a team that wins a lot? Because uh, football and baseball, I actually think, are the two sports I, I would put up there. And, and I agree with that. I think I'd go football and baseball as well. And I thought AJ was going to make this more of a fiery conversation, <laughs> yeah, him and I going agree, back right? and forth with football. Uh, and, and I thought that's why he uh, he was so excited. But uh, I, I agree with 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 uh, both of you guys saying that it is football because not only does football have that ego management. Look at Vic Fangio, what he what he's done with Von Miller the past year and a half, really really pushing him, grinding him like no other coach has. Whether that's right or wrong, we honestly may never be able to see if Vic Fangio's handling of Von Miller was right or wrong with Von not playing this season very likely. But you also see with Gary Kubiak. And the 2015 Super Bowl run, how he managed Peyton Manning, that was one of the best coaching jobs I've ever seen. It was the best coaching job I've ever seen from the Broncos with the way he managed him. And that had nothing to do with the X's and O's on the field. But then with football, you have those X's and O's. You have all of the game week preparation. But then in the game, your head coach is likely calling half of the game, likely calling either the offense or the defense. There are a few coaches that that are hands off with that, but most of the time these guys do call the plays as well. And you're calling plays all the time instead of just it all being on, you know, LeBron James going down the court and he's the guy when he's got the ball, you don't need a coach to do anything. Uh, Even if you have Tom Brady, you're still having the play called into him. So I just think that football takes cake with this one, plus all the game management stuff as well, which Broncos fans are very familiar of these last few weeks. Timeouts. Timeouts. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I have to manage the clock. Like Zach really even just screeched the, screeched the surface of everything a football coach has to keep track of. Like, yeah. And like I know it's your job and you have to delegate appropriately, but it is – 
it's funny how many head coaches struggle with time management. And when you think about it, it's like it's probably low on their totem pole to, yeah. despite how important it is. Exactly. It's low on their totem pole. And here's the thing. You, you said delegate. That's honestly what I think they should do. And that's what a lot of coaches have done. And that's what the Broncos have done in the past. The Broncos got rid of their game management guy after this last season. Mm-hmm. So week one, when they had that game management snafu, was the first game that the Broncos didn't have someone just devoted to that. And uh, it looked like that was pretty important against the Titans. Do you think that was, that game was more of game management or was that just he thought that the kicker was going to miss again? He was just relying on that. Well, I think that's silly. If you're going to rely on someone oh, to miss it, which is what he said. Silly. No, yeah, but I, I, what I'm agreeing said. with you. Ex- exactly. <laughs> I, I think that's just a silly thing to do with a you know potential Hall of Fame kicker. Uh, and now he he was really cold. But uh, man, that, that's that's not a smart thing to do. And he did admit his mistake the following day after saying that he did think Oskowski was going to miss. He did come back and say. You know, I thought he was maybe going to miss when they were far away fr- from the end zone. But then once they got closer, I made a mistake, messed up. Uh, and I think that it's important for a head coach, no, no matter what the sport is, when they mess up to take accountability. Because regardless of the sport, these guys know when their coach messes up. And they're calling out their players when they mess up. So I think that's a very important thing of a head coach is when you do mess up in such a public, blatant way that you fall on the sword for it. Because then your players, I think, respect you a little more. All right, Drew, what about you? Give us a little rundown of what a manager does um, in baseball. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah, a little absolutely. for people who don't watch baseball, and then we can go into your thoughts on who puts the most pressure. Yeah, there. this conversation gets really complicated in a lot of different ways because what a baseball manager does is both evolving very rapidly over the last 10 to 15 years and it can vary from team to team, depending on how much. Uh, oh, there's a puppy! <laughs> Sorry, Drew, I need this. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Got to spice up the baseball conversation. <laughs> Got to bring a puppy on here. So. But, but yeah, depending on you know how involved your GM, or your analytics department is in making in-game decisions, can dramatic. Like it used to be that you could at least look at a handful of decisions every single game and say. The manager made that decision. He decided that that reliever was going to come into the game at that time. But that's not even true anymore. A lot of times those guys, those decisions are made before the game even starts. There's a real famous scene in the Moneyball movie where Brad Pitt kind of storms into Philip Seymour Hoffman's office and says, I want this guy doing this. I want this guy to be the first guy out of the pen because if you don't play the team the way it's designed, it doesn't matter. And so there's this constant sort of, back and forth relationship that has to exist between a front office and a manager and the analytics department and all of that stuff for them to make every decision they make. So how much of it do you put on the manager? Um, has just become a, a far more complicated question than it used to be. And, and they've got a certain amount of ego management that they have to deal with as well because of a 162 game season typically, um, or, to put another way, actually something that was the same this year, and every single day, season, <laughs> these guys are around each other. When they're playing baseball, they see each other way more than they see your, their families or, or anybody else. That's just the nature of the beast. And you've got to be somebody who makes sure that your team doesn't naturally start 
to hate each other mm. is well we don't we don't have time to dive into all of that right now but basically um you know to get to the second part of the question i, I think that's what makes it if i could do a very like lawyerly philosopher like politiciany thing here and since i think everybody's answered the question the way most people would define the word pressure correctly football coach has the most pressure because they should because they have the most control but that's what they're hired to do call plays make those decisions do all that stuff a baseball manager's pressure comes from getting a great deal of criticism from people that largely have no idea what information you have access to what decisions you are or are not making where does the buck actually stop what are you saying or doing with these guys that you know how much credit does bud black get for the fact that the rockies have the best starting pitching over the last four years that they've ever had in their history and how much blame does he get for the fact that the bullpen is an absolute dumpster fire disaster? <laughs> and, and you know, you just that, that's a very difficult question to answer. So there's people out there calling for his job right now, and it makes a certain amount of sense. The team has played under their talent level. They've been disappointing for two consecutive years. And in any other sport, you'd have to look at the manager and say, you don't meet your talent expectations, then that's a lack of leadership and that's on the manager. But I think rightfully so in baseball. And right now more people are pointing at the general manager. Yeah, that's what I I was going to say. I feel like I see a lot more hate towards Jeff Breidich and more people saying he needs to go. Of course, that could be because of the Nolan Arenado clash they had. Yes, a lot of that in that, that specific case is personal and people just like Bud Black and they dislike Jeff Breidich. But some of that is legitimate too. That's just the nature of like Bud Black didn't put together that bullpen. He's not the one who threw together, you know, a a group where Daniel Bard, who was a coach last year, is legitimately (laughs) the best guy in the bullpen. Like, that's not Bud Black's fault, and there's nothing he can do. And I get these questions now every night, and he goes and gets someone. It's a tie game in the seventh, and he goes and grabs somebody. And that guy comes in and gives up three runs. Why did he go to Jairo Diaz or Carlos Esteve? Because he's got eight pitchers to choose from, and seven of them are struggling. And that's yeah. not, that is not his fault. And so it it's very difficult to say how much of these last – but I don't think that zero blame goes on Bud Black for these last two years either. And so that's where I think – you know, for me, I think of pressure – I've got a certain amount of pressure every single day to talk about the Colorado Rockies, whether they're winning or they're losing or, you know, whatever. But I feel like that's within my realm of what I'm supposed to do. When the MLBPA and the – commissioners start fighting with each other over the collective bargaining agreement. And I, I'm like, man, I should have gone to law school. I feel <laughs> more out of my own. I feel pressure to do something that I don't feel like I'm necessarily supposed to be or, or capable of doing, but to try to, you know, sure. that to me is a different kind of, so yeah, football coaches have more pressure, but they also have more control over the outcome of how people view them. Um, where baseball managers have, almost none <laughs> and still are expected to do a very complicated and intense job it's it's the i i don't i don't think they're under the most pressure i think baseball managers have the most thankless of all of the head coaching manager positions which, which do you guys think which sport has the quickest trigger i feel like it it's football and basketball but i would admit to being naive in the nhl in this arena but it seems to me like football like you don't if especially if you're in like denver you know, or a city or a market like this, like two weeks in, if it's below expectations, the conversation starts. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree. With the Broncos, like you guys said, there's just so much pressure there. And that's not the best thing ever is, is when fans are calling for jobs, right? I mean, we've seen with Malone, how many times could they have fired Michael Malone from how, you know, many questionable decisions he's made. And this, just this year, you know, We're just, just leading today, up to the playoffs. Exactly. the playoffs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It's crazy, man. And I think Drew mentioned a good point. Like, I think all of these guys are getting criticized by, like, the average sports viewer is, like, ten times more intelligent and well-equipped to, to analyze and make armchair decisions than they were just ten years ago. But there's we don't know more than these guys. And more to the point, like, the coaching process, it sounds like in all of these sports, are, uh, a lot of it happens behind closed doors. And so... We just don't know. You know what yeah. I mean? And I just can't imagine being criticized by people. Sorry, I'm almost done. That that have really <laughs> she no wants attention. Go give your dog attention. <laughs> um, AJ, Brendan said he doesn't really know how that plays in the NHL. What do you what would you respond to that? Now he'll never know. No, he <laughs> has AirPods. He can hear. No, um, uh, honestly, like you get time. Um, like Jared Bednar survived a 48 point season. Mm. You know, his first ever his first ever NHL coaching season, his God. team lost 60 games. So if he, you know, he, he was able to survive that. And there were a lot of things that went wrong that year. Uh, and, and I think you're seeing on the other side, your patience continues to get rewarded here. And it's, it's amazing to me because there are bad organizations out there that are constantly recycling. Yes. And it's like, you have to understand this is part of your culture problem. Is right. that you are constantly recycling these guys in and out. 100%. So you have a different message every year. You have a different voice. You have a different. You have a different leader. And you're like, oh, we need you guys to buy into this. And then guys are like, okay, well now there's a new guy in that office every single year. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm I'm getting the hell out of here. My first opportunity. You know, like it's it just creates a toxic culture when you're constantly recycling. Like, there isn't a single good organization out there that you can point to that's like, well, yeah, they get away with this. It just doesn't happen. Like, so so the NHL, the NHL, you have a, you usually get like two to three years. I would say you probably get through a three-year deal. And then by year three, you usually have a decent idea of this guy can do the job. This isn't working. AJ, you saying that just reminded me of college football and the buffs and just the trouble that, I feel like they are having and are going to have with three different head coaches in just four years and someone like Mel just picking up and leaving and all these recruits and, and then they're younger, they're more impressionable, all these things. It's just, oh, goodness, it made me sad. It reminded me of the misery of being a Buffs <laughs> fan that I choose to endure every time. I mean, to AJ's point on the Nugget side of the aisle, Michael Malone um, was fired in, in Sacramento after doing as good a job as one could do in, in a bottom-of-the-barrel organization in terms of incremental improvement. Only coach DeMarcus Cousins ever liked there. And they fired him. And they just, the, the losing culture kept, those gears kept turning. Um, Josh Kroenke, to his credit, showed an unordinary uh, amount of patience. And it's paid off. And so much like Bednar, it's just the longer leash these guys have been given the more they've proved that they are the right guys for the job and it's funny to watch the bottom tier organizations in these leagues respectively um not understand that like the, if you have a, an arduous rebuild task like 
it's not going to happen overnight. And there's no hire you're going to make that's going to flip that switch for you in one season. Um, before we keep this conversation going, I got to tell the good folks listening about DraftKings Sportsbook. Week two of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three. There's no place to get in on all of the action than DraftKings Sportsbook. They are giving all new users a chance to turn $1 into $100 when they bet on any team. And guys, I, I'm proud to say that I officially put a deposit in. I am, I am starting betting. I was a little nice. nervous about it. Uh, everyone here loves it, talks about it all the time. I obviously tell you guys to do it, but I just wasn't sure if I was ready. And, and you know, we're, we're going to play some bets. We're going to try to make step. some money. It's big you know? stuff. No, it's, a, it's just that $1 for me. Exactly. I'm going to try $1 to get a hundred dollars and then I'll, and then I'll be in and I'll, I'll just keep going. But cool I bet you're not Maybe. putting that $1 on the Eagles. <laughs> Nice. Hey now, Bro hey, the Broncos are, uh, are you putting your dollar on Jeff Driscoll? Did I pronounce it? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> um, yeah, not. no, I don't think I'm going to put my <laughs> money on football because it just brings sadness as, portals. as we learned this weekend. Um, like ma maybe day. nuggets, maybe nuggets. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll let you guys know what I end up placing my bet on. And if I actually win, cause you know, this could be, I lose all the money I put in a deposit and I'm just like, mm, maybe, maybe this wasn't for me or <laughs> I love it and keep going. <laughs> and the first one's always a big one. Yep. So like download first the baseball game. They lose 14 to two. <laughs> I'm never going to another one. <laughs> in extra innings, make it that. And you're right. just like, Oh God. <laughs> Stayed here for four hours in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> or in the snow as Colorado has snow games sometimes. Um, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Oh, you can place the same on UFC, you know? I, I was getting into UFC before sports came back, so maybe I'll watch UFC and place a bet on that one this weekend. Um, but pick any team during week three, bet $1 on them, and win $100 if they win. That's $1 to win $100. If you're new to betting like I am, check out our explainers that break down the best ways to bet team totals props futures sp the spread they've, they've got it all they've got you covered andre and ryan um for a limited time only at DraftKings sportsbook use code dnvr during sign up must be 21 or older colorado only eligibility restrictions apply see draftkings.com sportsbook for details and if you have a gambling problem be sure to call 1-800-522-4700 i feel like i just talked a lot i need i need another sip of my beer um <laughs> Uh, continuing the conversation from the first segment about pressure on head coaches, I feel like we all picked the Broncos and football as that like number one team. And I think John Elway isn't really giving Vic Fangio like the decisions John Elway has made is making it harder for Vic Fangio with all of John Elway and correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, but John Elway is just constantly trying to deny the fact that this team needed to rebuild. He kept making decisions on win now, win now, win now. And when your head coach then uses those decisions you make and doesn't win, then the fan base, of course, and I know a lot of the fan base is also turning on John Elway and saying it's time for him to go as well, but it just didn't put, Vic Fangio in the best position when John Elway can't admit to this team needing to rebuild. 
and move forward that way. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it also really hurt Vance Joseph as much as yeah. uh, people want to put all the blame on Vance Joseph. And he's a great scapegoat to point to. But when you have high expectations and you don't have a quarterback, hey, that's just that's going to kill a head coach. And John Elway hasn't had the quarterback. He has not brought in the quarterback for his head coach. And as as you know, great as it would be to be able to win without a quarterback, that is so difficult. You can do it for one year. Look, the Broncos did it in 2016. They had a winning record, came a, a couple Benny Fowler drops away from actually making the playoffs with Trevor Simeon <laughs> as their quarterback. <laughs> but it, it, so you can do it for one <laughs> you can do it for one year, but you can't do it for a sustained amount of time like the Broncos have tried to do these past four years. The Broncos have tried to get quarterbacks, and I put try in air quotes because Joe Flacco isn't really trying. Case Keenum, when they're paying Case him eighteen Keenum. million dollars, is actually in the in the bottom ten of quarterback money. So the eighteen million dollars in the NFL for a quarterback is nothing. That was uh, the worst one, right? Case Keenum was the worst one of of all of them because the other guys were at least like these young dudes you could hang. When you're like looking at Simeon and Pack, like I know, I know AJ's like, no, we knew those guys too. Like, it was at least the you. That is bad. I was gonna say Paxton's probably the worst there, the and, worst. Okay. and 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 it's not a surprise when you draft a quarterback in the twenties. That's pretty much destined to fail. So they didn't really. John never really did anything um, to truly get a quarterback. Sanchez. Yeah, yeah. I, forgot I forgot about Sanchez. Forgot about Sanchez. <laughs> he probably forgot about his Denver time too. <laughs> totally forgot. Well, let's take this opportunity to just jump into the present and the Broncos take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday, 2.25 PM at mile high. AJ, big sigh from you there. The Broncos are <laughs> 0 2. Yep. It's, it's not looking good. I mean, the DMVR bar has been fun every Sunday. So if you still want to have fun, even if your team isn't doing well, come here because we still have a blast. Um, but Zach, how are you feeling about this game? Do you think there's a chance Jeff Driscoll pulls off a win? Yeah, I mean, this is the, the, the David versus Goliath story right here. And in fact, if the Broncos win, you may need to change it to uh, to the Driscoll versus Brady story because that, I mean, I cannot believe the Broncos are only six-point underdogs. I know they're at yeah. home. There's 5,700 fans. I think that means nothing. When there was 500 fans for game one, I it was like I could barely see fans. So 10 times that, maybe you'll be able to see them. I don't think that's going to make a difference. So, yeah, you do have the mile-high air. But for Tom Brady, I don't think that's going to affect him. I know he's 4-7 and seven all-time in Denver. But to not even be a touchdown favorite, I think I, – I don't know what they're looking at, honestly. I could see that being the line if Drew Locke was the quarterback and he was healthy. But Jeff Driscoll, he was – he really impressed me last week, I do have to say – I just don't see that happening game after game after game. Now, maybe if he plays five games and he has two good games, including last week, sure, he could have another good one this week. I just I don't think he's going to be as crisp as he was last week. And you're going up against Tom Brady, who has struggled, but you don't have Von Miller. You have Bradley Chubb playing at like 75 80%. So you're going to need a massive game from Jarrell Casey in the middle to get pressure on Tom. And I just think that may be too much on anyone's shoulders. Do you think they're six-point underdogs just 
thinking of last game, they kept it close, even though the impossible happened. Like their starting quarterback went down. Cortland Sutton was out half the game. Jerry Judy was out half the game. They're like trying to not count them out. That's why they're just not, they're just six point underdogs instead of more. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I didn't I really know that know Vegas. Yeah, I, I guess Vegas uh, takes into account heart, which I didn't really know that they did that. <laughs> okay. I mean, the Broncos are 2-0 and against spread so far, despite being 0-2. That's, All right, so well, that's a thing. Hey, they've got that. They've <laughs> got that like going for Ch- them. Gonzalez going out and giving the Rockies a quality start after he like put twelve guys on base in the first three innings yesterday, and fans being like, "Hey, he might be okay." Like, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> he's not. <laughs> like they got it through a game. Uh, I love, I love you, Jeff Driscoll. I've, I've known about you for five or six days now, and. <laughs> Like Cheers to fella. you. Is that what I, you were doing, I, Drew? I, 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 I want to believe Driscoll. in you. Yeah. <laughs> that, um, that line from uh, uh, Field of Dreams. Uh, watch out you don't get killed. <laughs> <laughs> well, Zach, let's touch a little bit about on these injuries. I don't know what Denver Sports – I said this in our breakdown, but I don't know what Denver Sports did to the injury gods. And and it's not just Broncos because the entire NFL is really struggling with these injuries. But, man, the Broncos just got hit so hard. The Avs got hit hard. The Nuggets got hit hard. The Rockies even got hit hard. Like, it's just, like, goodness. They can't catch a break. But, Zach, do you think some of these injuries do play a role because of the lack of preseason? Yeah, I definitely think that's the case. And the lack of the offseason. We had someone on our podcast mm-hmm. earlier this week say, you know, how, how it, it, they, they don't just go in in April and May and do the same type of workouts. No, it's slowly progressing their bodies in, in certain steps. And they didn't have any of that this year. So I do think that's uh, that's crucial. And then you don't have preseason you kind of have a shortened training camp with not as much of a ramp up period as you like. And a, a great example is the Broncos signed Mark Barron. Uh, and then two days into practicing, he hurts his hamstring just because, you know, they were like, Mark, we need you to play. Well, he, he wasn't able to do any conditioning programs with teams in the off season. And so he goes out there, you know, goes too fast and pulls a hamstring. And I think that's, that's kind of a, a good example of what we've seen from the rest of the NFL. Zach, do you think the Broncos will win? Just give me straight yes or no. No, I don't think they cover. What do you think the what are you going for score prediction? I'm going something like 27 to 16 and oh. I even find it hard to think the Broncos are going to score 16 points. Wow. Okay. Well, go listen to the Broncos pod. I think Zach or I think Mason Ryan had a little bit more optimism. Um, but you know, we're keeping it real and uh, with this Broncos team Objective and all the injuries. Objective journalism on this podcast. <laughs> there you go. Um, vote. Let's jump right in onto some Nuggets. Down three-one again. Western Conference right Finals. Right where, where we've been. Now. How are you feeling? What did you think of last night's game? I know you guys didn't want to touch much on the post-game show about the officiating, um, but it has been such a big conversation, not just from Nuggets fans. Like, fans of the NBA are upset with what happened. LeBron James and the Lakers sent a letter into the league stating that he wasn't getting enough free throws, and he went from 7 to 14 last night's game. Do you think that played a big role in the loss? I mean... It played a role, and look, every team does what the Lakers did. Um, what's unfortunate is the Lakers, for some reason, leaked that. 
and then it goes public, which is not a good look for them or LeBron. Like, I'm not sure why. You know, maybe they didn't leak it. Maybe someone got the story, but it certainly feels like it got out there really quick. Um, you know, the Nuggets actually just did the same thing after this last game. They sent in a tape to the league. They're going to ask them to reassess. Um, so teams certainly do this. But when you shoot 14 free throws after a leaked story about um, your official complaint for your superstar, it's going to be part of the story. Um, I just think from the perspective of, like, look, our, our fandom bleeds into our coverage at DNVR, and I think that's fine in the realm of sports, but I can th- I think it could be a rough look when you're the home media and, and you just want to harp on officiating. Definitely. Um, especially when the Nuggets gave up 25 second chance points. And so from a head coach perspective, there are controllable factors here that led to that loss. You know, Jokic wasn't good enough. They weren't good enough on the glass. Uh, a rough game for Michael Malone. And yet they were right there. So it's an encouraging game. Um, and I just think that given the way that superstars get calls, games two and three really weren't that bad. Uh, I just don't want to harp on the officiating when, frankly, I think the Nuggets are good enough to beat this team anyway if they play their best. Jamal Murray has really just has so many highlight real moments after this series and that layup against uh, LeBron was amazing. What do you think of his rise into the stardom? I mean, you just can't say enough. We all were waiting for him to make the leap. You know, some of us weren't sure if he'd get there. We knew he'd get better. He made an even bigger one. I mean, he's, he's, this is superstar level stuff. Uh, some of the stuff he's done in the playoffs, it's like he's on list with Michael Jordan now. I know there's a neutral court, you know, bubble bump thing here to these stats and these shooting stats, but you'll notice it's Jamal Murray, not the other stars of the league who have been out there in the postseason playing in the same circumstances. He's the one who's vaulted himself to historic levels. The hot shooting is what we're all going to see. These shots are going down now. He's taking these Curry-esque threes, but he's leveled up every aspect of his game. He is at times a plus defender now when he was once a liability. He is growing as a playmaker. Um, and I loved reading this article from Zach Lowe on ESPN about the the Jokic-Murray pick and roll and describing them as cerebral guys that that over the course of a, of a series, they download information. They learn how to pick you apart. Maybe it takes you a game or two, but they figure out what you want to do and they don't let you do it. And so to think of Jamal Murray as a cerebral player um, when he was once, I think, an instinct scorer, it's just really, really cool. And I don't know if I've ever witnessed, like, he wasn't this player in March. He had a good regular season, but nothing was pointing to this. The hiatus comes and I think we got a glimpse of who took those months, who hunkered down and steeled up mentally and physically, who wanted this. And 12 pounds later, a um, couple of 50 pieces in the playoffs later, it's pretty clear that Jamal Murray is in that group. I think Jamal Murray even looks like a bit of a different player from the beginning of these playoffs. Like mm. he he's really taken this time in the bubble to his advantage and really just completely stepped up. But do you think they come back once again from three and one? I probably not, but I said those exact same words uh, twice now. True. <laughs> so, yep. I mean, what is the point in writing them off? I do think they're good enough. Um, Lakers are better. Tough matchup. But I believe the Nuggets are in the same tier as this team. I don't think it's outlandish for them to beat them um, three times in a row. I like them in game five. Yeah. Uh, I think I think the the Nuggets are going to maybe see a friendlier whistle in game five. I think Jokic is going to be better. I would, I would expect he's better. Um, and I just think Denver is going to need this game more than L.A. does. 
Anthony Davis, you saw him a little hobbled. I think LeBron's looking a little tired. So maybe do they let off the throttle in this one? I think the Nuggets get game five. Once you get game five, it's two more games. And you're just thinking everyone gets tight. And we've been in this situation so many times. I'm sure they're thinking that from their perspective, um, that they have to have confidence. So they'll take it one game at a time. And from that perspective, yes, this team can beat the Lakers. Drew, last Friday, I before the Western Conference Finals starts, started, I asked you how you were feeling. You weren't feeling too great. How are you feeling now? <laughs> I want to respect everything that Brandon just said about the <laughs> official stuff. Uh, look, man, I forgot to mention that part. I said this to RK as we were watching game one down at the DNVR bar and, and how uneasy I was feeling about this series. And I had mentioned game five in 2009 and how awful the officiating was then, but I neglected to mention the root of my fears about it for this series, which were obviously completely founded in objective and observable fact from every Western conference finals that the Lakers have ever played in. And that doesn't just come from somebody who's been a Nuggets fan during my life. It comes from somebody who before the Nuggets were relevant or ever on television was a Sacramento Kings fan in 2004 as well. And so (laughs) the notion that I, I, Brendan's a classy guy and our, our, our DNVR Nuggets guys are doing the right thing. And, uh, but I, it absolutely actually drives me up the wall. But Drew's like, I'm not classy. So (laughs) they, they, they can call us whatever they want. I don't, I don't understand why journalists whose job it is to cover the owner and the GM and all the players and what they're doing sometimes in their personal lives and what their diets are like and the uniforms and the logos and all the other things that we're supposed to cover objectively and just call it right down the line, how we see it. And we do have to recognize every conversation we just had about managers and GMs who made the call. You can place some blame on the manager. You can place some blame on the GM. You still got to place some guy on the guy who threw the pitch or, or threw the interception or did whatever. And then we have to, for some reason, apply a complete, completely separate principle to observing an objective fact in front of our face about officials. And we do this in an era where multiple huge scandals have broken about NBA (laughs) officials accepting bribes, MLB umpires accepting bribes, MLB umpires threatening to shoot people. Like that's a very recent one. And we just, I don't know why collectively, well, I've got some theories, but have have just decided, no, that's the third rail. We're not allowed to touch it. We're not allowed to talk about it because if we do, we'll be called complainers and whiners for pointing out observable, objective facts. We've got the data. We have the ability to measure it. We use the analytics in every other aspect of our lives and ask us to turn off our brains by these people who are given extraordinary power and zero accountability is, in my mind, absolutely ridiculous. I'm glad you said it. I'm, <laughs> we have different different roles. I don't get how it's good for the league. I don't get how it's good for any. Well, of it's them. not. And, and by the way, like, it's not good. This. It's not good for the league that the Nuggets now are going to send in a video, too. Like, it, it, right. it's just tough. I mean, I, I these officials are seemingly stuck at a tug of war. And it's the teams pulling them back and forth. Um, and I think, look, even some of the calls that have gone the Nuggets way in this series are like, what are we doing? I mean, these two teams are good enough to put on a show 
And I just like my whole thing with refereeing, and and I'm not doing the the bias one way or another thing here. I, I'm not. But my thing with refereeing is why do I know Scott Foster's name? I shouldn't know who you are because you shouldn't be a part of this show. And right. uh, I think some refs struggle with that. Harder gig than we'll ever give them credit for. But to your point, Drew, um, the benefit of the doubt is thrown out the window when um, when it's, it's not off the table. In fact, it's happened before that we know these guys have, have not approached this in good faith. I just don't understand why all of the excuses that we come up with for refs umpires, whatever you want to call them, don't apply to anybody else in sports. It's a very difficult job. So is playing shortstop. You don't hear me <laughs> criticizing him. You know? So, like, I, I, again, it's like every little thing, and they and they talk about, well, there's nothing you can do about it. Actually, there are things you can do about it. Every single offseason, each one of these leagues meets. They clarify rules. They clarify the rule book. Right now in Major League Baseball, there's a huge movement to move toward the electronic strike zone. Robo Empire. In the minor leagues. And so it's not like a conversation, it's not like there's no debate. I've heard some people say that. It's like, well, there's nothing you can do about it, True, These other things are things you can, actually, you can. You can force accountability for those who are supposed to enforce the rules fairly. And if it's not the job of journalists to do that, then whose is it? Well, we can got really a rant after all. <laughs> there you go. We got we got feisty Friday happening. You'll love to see it. AJ, it looked like you were going to say something. Yeah, Drew, can we really be journalists when we're busy selling t-shirts? Yeah. <laughs> got to get that drop in there. Be one or the other. <laughs> all right, Drew, real quick before we yep. wrap up. Oh, baseball time. Baseball time. Ooh. Sweet Rocky, Rockies won last night. Hey, mm -hmm. they need uh, two more wins to cover Try something on DraftKings. DraftKings. Get that DraftKings over, baby. There you go. Do you think they win two more games? Sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> give Give Ryan hope. He is he's very depressed about the Senza, Santos, Marquez, and Freeland. Yeah, they'll probably take three of these and fall just short of the playoffs. All they need in order to make the playoffs is to sweep the Diamondbacks, have the Giants get swept by the Padres, have the Phillies get swept by the Rays, have the Brewers split or lose their series with the Cardinals, and make sure that the Mets don't sweep the Nationals. And then they're in. So only that. <laughs> only that. AJ. <laughs> Pull that off and you're fine. And then you get to play the Dodgers in a best of three. Lovely. We, we love that. Um, someone asked go well. in the comments. I think they'll get the DraftKings over. What they said, if y'all have time, what's y'all's feelings on the 60-game season? I personally love it. How do you feel about it, Drew? I now that it. we're almost done with I it. With the passion of a thousand fiery suns. <laughs> uh, like, uh, there's, there's an entertainment value to it, but you do not and cannot get a reasonable estimation of who the best teams in baseball are over a 60-game sample size. The fact that the Miami Marlins, who have had to play like 60 different guys this season, are in the middle of the playoff hunt this year is proof enough of that. Like it's I think it was fine for this year. So, uh, you know, I'm not against anything that they've done, but you just need more baseball games. Baseball is incredibly chaotic and random. And in order for all of that stuff to balance out, you got to play a lot of them. And why that's the only way around it. Seriously. It all goes out the window when you play a five game series in the playoffs anyway. So why bother? What do you why mean? play? Why not play 120 games? 
You know, I think they could Why play do you got to play 162 of them? I, I don't think it necessarily has to be 162. In fact, I would I would even be in favor, at the very least, of going, because it used to be like 154. Like, I'd be What's in favor of doing that. There's probably not a difference between those two. Uh, but you've got to play at least over 100 baseball games. Even like the most advanced analytics that we find will tell you, like uh, any given batter, like you need at least 300 plate appearances before the data means anything right there's just a certain amount of ups and downs that come with any given baseball season any given baseball player uh in a sport where guys who fail seven out of ten times are the absolute best of the best you need time for all of that random failure to balance out so i think 120 games maybe even be okay but then you're getting you're starting to push it at that point. We'll have more time to kind of go more in detail about that later on, maybe in a few weeks. Um, if if the Rockies don't make it in, which Drew outlined all of the reasons that they won't. <laughs> um, AJ, want to finish up with you. There isn't much hockey talk going on, but we are preparing for a draft or, or DraftKings. DraftKings is just on my mind, guys. I just need to go place a bet. Um, on draft coverage. AJ, will you tell the good people a little bit about what they should expect for our draft coverage? Uh, yeah, we're going to do a whole bunch of work and then watch the Avs trade their first round pick. So, <laughs> AJ, awesome. I don't and need then, that energy right now. And then Rudo and I are going to get drunk on the live stream that night. So come hang out. That's all I needed for a tagline. <laughs> no, but for real, like we're we're preparing a really cool draft show for the first night of the draft. The Avs currently have the 24th pick. Um, so that's a guy that won't be in the NHL for a few years. And if the Avs recent drafting history is any, any indication may not ever be in the NHL. Um, so, you know, tempered excitement, but get to, you get to come and hang out as we talk about teenagers, like, uh, they're like they're farm animals. So it's really awkward and it's a good time and we give them grades and all of it. It's, it's great. Your your earlier you, you tagline was better. That yeah, yeah. The tagline <laughs> yeah. before I think is a better seller than that one. Just I'm just saying it's it's a really weird, awkward process. Okay. Well it's a lot of fun. Like it's we're gonna have really a good time. Gonna it's gonna be entertaining. We're putting a lot of work into it. <laughs> It's going to be a great time, similar to um, Draft Day Live for the MLB and NFL that we did earlier this year. You guys can catch it on YouTube, Periscope, and Facebook. It's going to be a blast. And if the Nuggets aren't in the Western Conference Finals, or not in the Western Conference Finals, in the finals, then we'll be having a watch party at the bar. Um, but who knows? They they might go and make it through once again, 3-1, come back and be in the finals, and we would have a Nuggets watch party that day. So keep keep up to date on all of those details on DNVR underscore Avalanche. Before we get out of here, Green Mountain Dental Group is in Lakewood, and they're the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area. They're extreme Colorado sports fans just like us. Schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam, and you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. Tweet at us when you go and tag us and them because showing them how this community can support um, our biggest supporters really helps us out. Green Mountain Dental Group treats you like family, birthday cards, talk to you about what's going on in your life. Uh, they're awesome, and they really make you feel like family. Lindsay, our sales director, got her wisdom teeth removed there, and she really enjoyed the experience. I know I say that a lot, as much as you can enjoy getting your wisdom teeth removed. Um, 
But the first step to good health is taking care of your teeth. So don't forget, you can receive a free Sonicare toothbrush when you go and you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam. Thanks for hanging out, guys. Feisty Friday. Do not disappoint from Drew, from AJ. We, we got it all. We will see you guys next week. And don't forget to stop by the DMVR bar this weekend. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Go love.